Go ahead and have a seat, guys. Kids, you can be dismissed to go to Children's Church this morning. So I'm really excited to get to uh, bring this message to you guys today. Um, I thought for a while that I would use um, some clips of a movie called Saving Private Ryan. You guys have probably, a lot of you probably seen that movie. Um, a couple of reasons why I didn't choose to show the movie. One, because we couldn't, I, I, I couldn't get it. I don't, I don't have it on DVD and neither do those that I asked. So that's one big reason. Um, the other big reason is the clip that I wanted to show you um, is, is, is really violent and there's a lot of death and bullets and blood and stuff. So um, I thought I would just kind of explain some of the stuff to you. We're talking about spiritual warfare this morning and the hope is that we would begin to open our eyes to the reality of what's happening here. Um, I think sometimes we think about spiritual warfare, but we don't spend very much time thinking about it. Um, but the reality is, very much, if you guys have seen Saving Private Ryan, who's seen the movie, by the way? Um, so a few of you haven't. Uh, the opening scene is the Marines landing on Omaha Beach. And if you know anything about history, it was, like, brutal. The Americans are in the ocean trying to land on a beach, and they're in these basically amphibious tanks without roofs on them. And they're lined up, groups like rows of three, just men like 12 deep, and then they get to the beach and the gate opens and they run off. The only problem is there's no shelter and there's people on a ridge on this beach just shooting. And so like a guy steps off, dead. Next guy steps off, dead. And then people start leaping off the side and into the water and then you're un- you, the camera's under the water and you're watching these people even get shot under the water. And like large percentage of people who, who made it to that beach in their, their amphibious tanks uh, died, except for a very small percentage. So we follow, the, the movie is following Tom Hanks' crew, Captain Miller and his crew, and they, they get to the beach and they have got, they've got other orders, and then it, it turns out they've got these orders to go and save Private Ryan. Um, Private Ryan is a guy who has three brothers who have just been killed within the last couple of days, in the war, and there's some sort of law, whatever, deal within the, the armed forces that if that happens, the surviving person gets to go home. But the problem is that nobody knows where Private Ryan is, and so the whole movie is Tom Hanks and his crew going to try to find Private Ryan to send him home. And there's this ex among his group saying, well, why does he get to go home? Why do we have to go and suffer and die so that he can go home? Um, that's a that's, that's a, an, some angst that's it's among everyone, and, and it's sort of the, the theme throughout the, most of the movie. But the point of, of the movie is, is in the name, Saving Private Ryan. That's the mission. That's the point of, of the movie, and, and that's what the point of these guys. And it can get cloudy and weird and, and difficult and hard, and there's an inner angst and, and turmoil wrestling about why we have to go do this. But ultimately, the whole deal is about Saving Private Ryan. That is the mission. Um, and so this morning, the message is kind of a story along those lines. Um, we have characters, we have a climax, we have 
uh, an antagonist and a protagonist. We have all those things in the midst of the story that, that we're going to learn through Scripture that God is telling through this idea of, of spiritual warfare. And we'll talk about those things. But ultimately, the point of the story that I'm going to share this morning is, is just like the movie. We can wonder and, and be worried about circumstances and angst and, and all of that stuff, but ultimately it's about this one mission that God has for us. And it's just like saving Private Ryan. The end is this. God has provided a way. That's the, like, every story has a protagonist, an antagonist, and character, lots of supporting characters, just like Saving Private Ryan, just like the story we're going to see today. Our story has that. And there's difficulty and hardship and circumstances that creep in on us to get us away from this one idea that God has made a way. So most stories, you wind up with a resolution at the end. This story that I want to tell to us today, the resolution at the beginning, God has made a way. And Dave mentioned it during the call to worship. And, and I've, I've seen, like, probably 75% of you, I personally said, welcome to North Church this morning, and I hand you a bulletin as you walk in the door. And there was a really high percentage of faces just melancholy or discouraged or coming with something, like, heavy. Let me, let me speak directly to you. God has made a way. And like that's, we're going to talk about spiritual warfare this morning. We're going to talk about the gospel as is being told by spiritual warfare. And the gospel is, no matter where you find yourself, God has made a way. friend of mine who lives in Nashville tweeted this this morning. He said, don't let circumstances, the the tyranny of circumstances, rob you of your Sunday morning. And that's like, I want to change that a little bit and take out Sunday morning. Don't let the tyranny of circumstances rob you of what God wants to give you. What he wants to give you isn't a perfect life with healthy children and, and, and a good job and obedience of your children and, and a great marriage. God, God is, is secondarily interested in that. Primarily, God is interested in teaching you that in him lies the way. In him lies hope and peace and joy and life. And the story of spiritual warfare is really just another way to tell that story. I've made a way for you. I've made a way for you. So let's dig in to this, if we could. Um, the antagonist of our story is Satan, our enemy. You've heard me say it before. We have one enemy, and his name is Satan. We have one hope, and his name is Christ. The antagonist is Satan, and here's his story. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us to be sober-minded. I looked up that word this, this week, sober-minded, what's translated there. It means calm and collected in the spirit. The last three weeks, if you haven't been here, go back and listen to the podcast. The last three weeks, we've been talking about what it means to be controlled and in the spirit, to be sober-minded in our attack of the devil, in our being attacked by the devil. The first call 
is to be sober-minded. And to be sober-minded is calm and collected in the spirit. Um, I don't know about you, when I get angry, when I get frustrated, when I sense the attack of the enemy, most of the time my response is far from calm and collected. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Pay attention. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And here's the danger for good little church kids. We've read this verse before. We've probably sang it. We maybe even made a lion out of pipe cleaners when we were six years old. But, it, but the fact of them, this isn't some silly metaphor for, to, to connect children's minds to a VBS story. You have an enemy, and he's like a lion, and he seeks to devour you. Don't, like, don't trivialize that. This is your enemy. He's like a lion, and he wants to devour you. John 10.10 further illustrates who Satan is, who your enemy is. The thief, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Don't pass that up. He wants to take from you. He wants to murder you. He wants to destroy you. And all this around you. Do not let the tyranny of circumstances rob you of your joy. Because ultimately, he's got no real power. Like, saving Private Ryan, a lot of people die. A lot of people who were out there trying to save Private Ryan die. But the end of the movie, does anybody remember the end of the movie? Like, Tom Hanks has just died, and, and Matt Damon, who is Private Ryan, is standing over him, and he's just filled with emotion, like, you have sacrificed for me, and the camera zooms in on his face, and then they do some sort of camera wizardry, and it's now an 85-year-old man, and he's standing over Tom Hanks's grave, and his family's behind him. Private Ryan was saved. The end of the story... The end of your story. God will find a way. Like, I'm looking at some of your faces and I know the circumstances that you deal with today, yesterday, this week. Let me be the voice of God to you. I will find a way. Trust me. I will find a way. So there is a season for melancholy. Live there if you need to live there. But own this. I will find a way. Because the end of John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You have an enemy and you have a hope. John 8.44 Jesus calls him a liar and the father of lies. And that's the beautiful part about this, is that he lies. A lie can't hurt you. A lie can't take your salvation from you. The only, the only real weapon he's got is it gets you to believe something that's not true. And the truth is, the end of the truth is, the end of the movie is Private Ryan has been saved. The end of your movie is... God will find a way. He will make a way. It might be hard. His, his way is not around it. His way is through it, teaching you all along the way, dependence upon him. Excuse me, I'm getting fired up. 
Um, turn to me to Genesis chapter 3. See more of, of Satan as a liar and the father of lies. Uh, I think the rest of the verses are going to be on the screen. So if you don't have a Bible, um, we have some in the back or they'll be on the screen either one. Um, the first six verses of chapter 3. This is the fall of man. This is our first real introduction to our enemy, Satan. Verse 1, Now the serpent, Satan, the, our enemy, was more crafty than any other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, the serpent said to the woman, Did God actually say to you, You shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of any of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. She is speaking truth. This is what God had spoken to her. Verse 4, the father of lies. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. The only, the only weapon of the enemy is to get you to believe something that's not true. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The only weapon in the enemy is to get you to believe something that's not true. Two things are happening here. That one, you can be like God. No. And two, God doesn't have your best interest in mind. No. We can learn so much from this. And I've, like, as I was studying this this week, I thought, man, this is perfect. Let's use Genesis 3 to communicate who Satan is and what he does and all those things. Wait, no, I've, I've, I've used this like 15 times in the last two years. But it's, it's, it's true. This is Satan. This is his, his, the way he acts, what he does. He lies to you, gets you to believe something that's not true. Verse 6. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food. And it was a delight to the eyes. And the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was there with her. And he ate. We'll talk about more, that more in a minute. But this is my, one of the most angst-filled things that when I read scripture is dude was standing right there next to her while Satan was lying and attacking. He was not doing what he was called to do. Protect his wife. Spiritual battle and warfare happens all the time. Most of the time, it wins when you are failing to do what you know exactly what God has called you to do, and you aren't doing it. It happened to Adam and Eve. Eve was attacked because Adam was a punk. Don't be a punk. So that's our antagonist. That's Satan. Let's talk for a second about our setting, the setting, the spiritual landscape. Um, I want to use this illustration. We use our five senses to interact with the physical world. You are listening to my voice. You can see me. You can see the screen. We, we interact with the physical world. If I say to you, the beach, what, not rhetorical, by the way, what, what pops into your mind? What Interactions with the physical world pop in your mind when I say the beach. Warmth. Sand. Seagulls. What'd you say? What? Sun. Somebody else said something. Waves. What? What? Jellyfish? Ouch. Sea turtles? Awesome. Um, I'm thinking of like 
breeze. I, I, if I really stop and think about the beach, I, I can like sense a breeze, right? And we interact with the physical world. Okay, what if I said chocolate chip cookies? What, what comes in your, what, what interaction with five senses come to your mind? <laughs> and you know what? Every cookie that you've, you've eaten from hers, I've had the first one of the, in that batch, by the way. It's my tax. Um, what, what, else, what comes to your mind? What, like, what thoughts, what senses come to your mind? Smell. You, you can smell, you can smell a chocolate chip cookie. Wait, like someday when like you walk into my house when Jen has just made cookies, like the whole house smells like that. And like you get attacked with that. What else? Taste. Taste. Yeah. Like if you think about a chocolate chip cookie, if you like if I shut up and you just everybody just stopped and thought about chocolate chip cookies, you could probably recreate in your mind the sensual nature of the cookie. Like the senses, how it attacks your senses and how you interact with that cookie and what it tastes like. You can probably feel it. The, the point of this exercise, thinking about the beach and chocolate chip cookies, is to get us to understand that there, like, we don't have to think too hard to understand there is a physical world and God has given us five senses with which we interact with that physical world. Right? The spiritual world is the exact same thing. There is a spiritual world that we interact with. Most of the time, we spend maybe a few minutes a week thinking about the spiritual world and how we engage it, how it engages us. And then our brains start to hurt and we stop thinking about it and we eat a chocolate chip cookie. But the, the reality is, and this is the reality that, that I'm here to proclaim to you, the reality is there is a spiritual world, and it's very real, just like the beach and just like chocolate chip cookies. And it's, there's a great big battle, and this is what I wish, I wish God would give us just for a moment to spray into the air right now so we could see, literally see the spiritual battle that's happening, because it's happening now. There are forces at work that we cannot see that are engaged in a battle right now for your attention, for your affection, and even your soul. Don't forget that. And Satan's tool is to use circumstances to change your mind, to move you away from engaging in that spiritual battle. So you become just some blob, silent, able to be moved and manipulated by his lies. But God has made a way. God has made a way. God has made a way. I want to read. This is a book um, written by C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters. Um, like many people have told me to read it over the course of the years, and I've just started reading it. And um, this paints a really cool spiritual picture. The Screwtape Letters, by the way, is the, it's a fictional book. Uh, it's a series of letters written by a, a demon. It's like up in the hierarchy of demons. I don't understand. He's writing to like a, a demon like in training. So he's writing letters of advice to this demon in training. All right? And his name is Screwtape. And he's writing letters to this demon in training called Wormwood. And he says this. 
I once had a patient, a sound atheist, who used to read in the British Museum. One day, as he sat reading, I saw a train of thought in his mind beginning to go the wrong way. The enemy, and he's talking about God, the enemy, of course, was at his elbow in a moment. Before I knew where I was, I saw my 20 years of work beginning to totter. If I had lost my head and begun to attack him with a defensive argument, I should have been undone. But I was not such a fool. I struck instantly at the part of the man which I had best under my control and suggested that, he was, that it was just about time that he had some lunch. The enemy presumably made a counter-suggestion. You know how one can never quite overhear what he says to them. This, what you're doing, is more important than lunch. At least I think that must have been the, his line. For when I said, quite, in fact, you're, this is much too important to tackle at the end of a morning on an empty stomach. The pra- patient brightened up considerably. And by the time I had added, much better to come back after lunch and go into it with a, with a fresh mind, he was already halfway out the door. Once he was in the streets, the battle was won. I showed him a newsboy shouting at the midday paper and the number 73 bus going past. And before he had gone very far, I had got him into an unalterable conviction that whatever odd ideas might have come to this man's head, this man's head when he was shut up alone with his books, a healthy dose of real life was enough to show him that that sort of thing just couldn't be true. He is now safe in our father's house. There's a real battle that's happening all the time for your attention, for your affection. It could be just as simple as silly things. But there's a real battle that's happening all the time. But God has a plan. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Here comes the plot of our story. And remember, the resolution, God has made a way. Starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I just, like, I don't want to, I don't want to miss, I don't want you to miss this. There is, I feel like I've already spent the last, the whole message so far is, is opening our eyes to the reality that there is a spiritual warfare happening. And it's going on right now. And there's never, listen, there's never, ever been a time or going to be a time when spiritual warfare isn't a very present reality for you. In every moment that you'll ever encounter, spiritual warfare is happening. Just like you're taking breaths, just like you're smelling, just like you're seeing and hearing and touching, how we're interacting with the physical world, that physical world is interacting with you and you with it. The spiritual world is interacting with you and you with it. And most of the time, we don't pay attention to that. And the more we do, the more successful we're going to be. Verse 12. Therefore, because of the fact that there is a spiritual warfare and you 
wrestle with spiritual forces of darkness all the time. Because of that, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand evil. And having done all, stand firm. Stand firm. That's a powerful phrase. Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth. So here, he's getting ready to list a bunch of weapons, a bunch of things that we have to fight the enemy. Here is the story. The climax is happening here in the story. The first is the breastplate of truth. And, and I, don't, I don't know what, like, what it means, the belt and breastplate and shoes. And I don't, I don't know. I, I don't, like, I've read differing opinions from scholars about why something is called the breastplate and something is called the belt and the helmet and the shoes and all that. But I don't think it really matters. I want to get to the heart of, of what it is that we're talking about. What is truth? And how is it a benefit, a help to us in our spiritual warfare? Truth, this word truth is the Greek word aletheia. You've heard me talk about it many times if you've been here very often. Aletheia is true, strong true, that which is true in any matter of consideration. The illustration is a, a, a lake. Think of a, a lake, all right? In this lake is a buoy, and in this lake is a dock, all right? And a speedboat flies by. What happens to the buoy? Think about it. What happens to the buoy when a speedboat goes by it? It's bobbing up and down, left and right, all over the place. It's bobbing everywhere. It's moving. What happens to the dock? Concrete pillars in the bottom of the lake. Nothing. The waves crash against the dock. Nothing happens to it. This is aletheia. This is truth. This is your weapon in spiritual warfare. The truth. And God has provided it for you. The truth. Hang to it. Cling to it. That's why it's important to live in community. That's why it's important to study your Bible. That's why it's important to connect at a good church so that you can understand and know truth that you can stake your claim to, you can cling to, that cannot change, cannot change, no matter what circumstances happen. Truth is a powerful tool. Uh, Stand therefore, having felt fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness. What does it mean? How is righteousness a helper in us? Righteousness. The Greek word for righteousness is the state of him who is as he ought to be. Remember back to the garden. Adam and Eve standing there, confronted with the serpent, knowing what they were supposed to do and what they weren't supposed to do, knowing the truth... We can't eat of that tree. We can eat of any other tree. That's the truth. That's the unshakable, unchanging truth. The righteousness is where they failed. More than anything, the righteousness is where Adam failed. Perhaps the greatest spiritual warfare tool you have is to do what you know God has told you to do. You hear me? To do what you know that God has told your purpose. Why are you here? Husband, why are you here? When you fail to shelter and protect your wife, you put her at risk. You put you at risk. You put your children at risk. Stop it. It's too important. There's too many people wanting to steal, kill, and destroy you. 
righteousness. There's a scene in Saving Private Ryan in the middle. They're in the middle of this huge warfare. It's okay, so go back to the story, right? There's this crew of 10 or 12 guys trying to go find Private Ryan. And they don't know where he is, and they know they're going to engage people that speak different languages than them trying to find Private Ryan. So they give them this guy who's never been in battle before. He's never been at war, never fired his weapon ever. But he knows French and German. So they give him to go on this crew with him. He's this little wimpy dude. You guys, are, if you've seen the movie, you know who I'm talking about. He's a complete wimp. But he's on the mission because he can speak, he can communicate. They're in, engaged with a bunch of Germans. And this big, strong hero of a guy, they've both lost their weapons, and, and a German and an American guy are fighting upstairs in this torn-up building. You guys remember, this? some of you probably remember the scene. And they're fighting back and forth. They're fighting back and forth. Who's going to win? And some, the German picks up a knife, and he's over the American. The little Weasley translator is on the stairs with a huge weapon. I don't know what it is. Maybe you guys do. Maybe it's AK-40. Who knows? Whatever. And he's got bullets, like, like, strapped around his shoulders. Like, all kinds of weaponry can come and save the day. But he's on the stairs, literally 10 feet and around the corner away from saving his friend's life. You know what he does? Do you guys remember? He just lays there and cries. Meanwhile, upstairs, if I, would, I would love to show you this, but it's, it's really gruesome. The knife in the German's hand finally plunges into the chest of the American soldier, and he just, and then dies. And the, the most poetic scene of, of that scene is the German shoulder, soldier rises and walks down the stairs and walks past the American soldier with a gun in his hands filled with weapons, watching him cry, and he just looks at him. Like, what is wrong with you? And the, the awful part of that is that this guy who had saved this, the, the guy who just died, who had saved his life earlier in the film, is now dead because of his inaction, because being a wimp. This is righteousness. What God has called be who you ought to be is righteous. In, in the battle of spiritual warfare, there's nothing more important for us. If God has called you to do something and you aren't doing it, you're at risk. You're that wimpy kid laying on the stairs crying while people around you die. But, like, that's a, that's a heart-wrenching, awful part of the story. And, and I don't want us to live there very long because ultimately, Private Ryan still makes it to 85 years old. And that's the whole point. Like, we can get lost in this metaphor and try and figure it out. Ultimately, the point of this film and that scene was that we could, the, the purpose, successful mission was Private Ryan in the United States of America. Successful mission for us is relationship with God. And God has made a way. So don't get, don't get lost in, like, I think, I think this is true. I mentioned earlier, people walking through melancholy circumstances, driving them crazy, this difficult hardship of life. You've probably been that Weasley translator crying on the stairs. I have been that Weasley translator crying on the stairs. But that's a circumstance. That's temporary. That's fleeting. God's way has still been made. 
In the midst of your circumstance, God's way has still been made. Please don't be paralyzed for too long. Rise up and be who God has called you to be. Back to Ephesians 6. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. Um, that word peace is irony. The Greek word irony. It's the tranquil state of soul assured of its salvation through Christ. The best illustration I've ever thought of seen for this sort of irony peace, the gospel of peace that God has for you as a spiritual weapon, a spiritual tool is Jim Valvano. You guys know who that is? He used to coach North Carolina State basketball and he died of cancer in, uh, I don't know when it was, like the mid-90s, something like that. Um, at the ESPY Awards one time, he wins the Arthur Ashe like, Courage Award and he goes up and gives a speech, YouTube the speech. It's, it's brilliant, it's beautiful. It's a guy that's literally dying of cancer um, talking to a room full of spoiled rich sports guys and he says this at the very end he talks for like 12 minutes at the very end he says this cancer can take my my body can take my pain can take my life but it cannot touch my mind it cannot touch my soul and he's like filled with tears and angst and everybody's like on the edge of their seat like the athletic heroes of the day are all on the edge of the seat listening to that and that is that is perfect to put the gospel of peace as readiness for your, for your heart. That is, Jim Balvano is that. Life can take away your, your body. It can attack your, your physical being. It can even kill you. But it cannot touch your soul. Like hardship and pain and difficulty and unrealized expectation and weight of life can attack you like cancer attacked Jim Balvano. Like cancer attacked my friend Jason. You've heard me talk about him before. I had lunch with him two days ago. Cancer can attack our body, but it cannot touch our soul. It cannot touch your peace. That is what God has given to you as a weapon to fight spiritual warfare. Peace. Own it, please. Verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Faith is another weapon for us. Faith is the Greek word pistis, which means conviction or belief respecting a man's relationship to God. The interesting part about this weapon in spiritual warfare is that it's also a spiritual gift. Last week, last Thursday night, we talked about spiritual gifts. For those of you who are here, we talked about spiritual gifts. We talked about people who had particular spiritual gifts. We had two people in our group who very clearly have the gift of faith. Jan and Eric very clearly have the gift of faith. And here is my encouragement to you. When you wrestle with not having this, go find somebody who does. Because the point of spiritual gifts is that God can infuse that gift into the body of Christ, the church. 
The point of Jen having the gift of faith, the point of Eric having the gift of faith, is so they can infuse it into the body of Christ, the church. That's you. If you wrestle with this, go get alongside Jen or Eric or somebody else who you know has the gift of faith. Or better yet, go talk to a kid. God has called us to have faith like a child. And faith is a weapon in spiritual warfare. Own it. Live it. I've told this story before, too, and it's interesting because it happened over Super Bowl weekend eight years ago. I was in Seattle, Washington at an Acts 29 event. It was a boot camp where they, you listened to learn how to plant a church, and at the end of this weekend, they assessed you and said, yes, you should plant a church, no, you, should plant a ch- you shouldn't plant a church, or no, you shouldn't plant a church until you do these things. You know what they told me? Do you guys remember? They, told, they said, don't plant a church. And I had left a good church with a good job. It was great. I had health insurance. I had a salary. I had all those things. And I left that. And now these people that I respected a lot said to me, you you really shouldn't do that. And I'm by myself in Seattle, Washington, filled with tears, convinced that I had ruined not only my life, but the life of my family. Do you know what happened? God used the gift of faith that he'd given to my wife to infuse into my life to believe that God had really called me to this. And he directed my path a different way. That's a long story, but the short story is God gave my wife a gift of faith that that he used to infuse that faith into me. And I won the battle of spiritual warfare because of what God had done in my wife. God will find a way. Next. Verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation. Salvation is soterion, the fullness of your salvation. First Peter talks about your salvation, and he says this. You have an inheritance that's kept in heaven for you that cannot perish, spoil, or fade. It's First Peter 1. There is, this is a gift that is given to you to fight this battle of spiritual warfare, your salvation. Your salvation, the end of it is, God has made a way, and that way ends up with you enjoying your inheritance that cannot perish, spoil, or fade. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he can't touch that. No matter what happens to you circumstantially on this planet, your inheritance is in heaven kept for you. It can't perish, spoil, or fade. And the beautiful part about that, if it can't perish, spoil, or fade, the enemy can't get it, and neither can you. Like, wrestle with that one for a little bit. Hebrews teaches us he died once and for all. The penalty for my sin and your sin has been paid. Your salvation is secure. And the knowledge of that is a weapon in your hands to fight spiritual warfare. That whatever happens to you now is at best temporary. You hear that? Whatever's going on in your world right now, at best it's temporary. At worst it's just silly. Go home and study Romans 5 through 7. Go home and study 
Hebrews 7 through 10 and think about salvation as a gift given to you to fight spiritual warfare. The last one. Verse 17. And take up the helmet of salvation. We just talked about that. And take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The weapons that the Spirit gives you, the weapon that the Spirit has given you is the Word of God. The Spirit gives you the Word of God. It illuminates Scripture to you so you can understand and fight this battle. Study, memorize, read, listen to sermons being preached. Allow the Word of God to penetrate your heart and penetrate your soul. It's a weapon in spiritual warfare. If you don't, you're putting yourself and those who God has called you to be near, which is me, and the person sitting next to you, you're putting them at risk. Put the Word of God in you. Study, memorize, meditate, listen to it being preached. There's podcasts everywhere. If you want to find somebody to podcast, come talk to me. I'll give you like 12 guys who could just every morning on the way to work listen to them preach. The word of God being planted into your soul. And understand, it's not just something like good to do. It's not, a, it's not just a, like a religious activity. This is a weapon in your hand to fight spiritual warfare. So that you don't become that kid on the stairs. Because we're all prone to be there. To be that kid. And the result of that is a dead friend. It makes my heart weep. I'm like, here's the, like the danger that I'm, I'm, ex- I'm sensing right now. Is like somehow, because I have a microphone and I'm standing and you're all sitting, listening. Like I'm in the middle of this. I need your help just as much as you need mine. I need to understand faith. I need to understand my salvation. I need to understand my righteousness, my responsibilities. I need to understand all of that. And we all do. We all need to share life with one another because there is a literal battle that's happening around us. And we have an enemy that seeks to devour us, that seeks to steal from us. But the beautiful part is we have a God who has made a way. And the even more beautiful part is the way that he made is Jesus Christ. And listen to me. There is nothing that Satan will throw at you that he didn't try to throw at Jesus. That Jesus didn't flatly overcome. And that is our example. And it's not some life to read about and wonder at and praise. It is partly that, yes. To read about and see and to study and understand and praise that life of Christ. But it's just as importantly an example to us. Christ. How do we deal with spiritual warfare? Act like Jesus. Let's pray and let God work. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for opening our eyes to the fact 
that there is a battle happening all around us. And opening our eyes to the fact that you have made a way through that battle, God. You have not made a way around the battle, but through it. Because, God, I thank you that you have not saved us from spiritual warfare, but saved us through it, God. Because in the middle of it, we're taught to depend upon you. And dependence upon you brings joy, brings life. God, teach us how to trust you. Teach us how to pick up these weapons and use them. Teach us how to seek out these weapons. Teach us how we own these weapons and how we're to give them to others in this body, Father. God, you are beautiful and mighty and so high above us, Father. God, I thank you for what you've taught me this week. Mostly, thank you for making a way. Thank you that that way is Jesus who came and lived out spiritual warfare in front of us, God. And he won. He's the champion. Defeated death. Defeated sin. Defeated Satan, our only enemy. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name I pray.